Tim Kelly, our old buddy, uh, used to produce our program for a long, long time. He is uh, really, really, really in tune to everything happening with the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, He writes for Phillies Nation and, of course, for Radio.com, part of our Intercom family. And uh, we bring him into the program here. Timmy, how you been, my friend? I've been great, and it, it wouldn't be a holiday if I wasn't here talking about the Phillies with you. i uh, tell you what, if I'd have told you back in early March that the Phillies would be in second place on Labor Day Monday, second place in the National League East, uh, and that they had a really, really good shot, if you didn't even know the circumstances, but they had a good shot at making the postseason, you would have signed up for that right away, correct? Yeah, a thousand percent, because I think in a lot of senses, we thought the Nationals would be better than this and the Mets would be probably better than they've been this season. Now, uh, I think there's an even better angle that in March, we didn't know that teams in second place in every division would be guaranteed to be in the playoffs. And now we do know that. So certainly this is something you sign up for, even if you aspire to win the division and do maybe more. All right. Now, I haven't spoken to you since the revamping of the bullpen. Let's go one by one, the moves that were made by Matt Klintak. Uh, did you like them, player by player, and is it enough to at least get them into the top eight and have some October baseball? Well, I think it's probably enough to get them into the top eight. Uh, Heath Embry has not been great lately. Brandon Workman's been hit or miss. David Phelps to this point has largely been good. And David Hale just hasn't pitched a ton. So I, I do think it's enough to probably get you in. But the bigger thing is that you've had guys internally like Tommy Hunter, who's really started to pitch well. Hector Neris has still been hit or miss, but did have a few good outings before struggling in, I think that was Friday evening's game. So uh, it's been more based on guys that you had internally starting to pitch better. You got back Ranger Suarez, who really had a nice second half of last season. So a lot of this, even though you're not getting David Robertson back, has been based more on on getting internal guys back. And, yeah, to me, this is a bullpen that's good enough when you have one of the better lineups in the league and a a top two in your rotation that's excellent to get in when there's eight teams. Now, I think it's a Band-Aid. At the the beginning of 2021, you're going to have a lot of these same bullpen issues, and it is on the front office to fix that this offseason and find something that isn't just a Band-Aid. My gut tells me that – just about everyone, and I'm talking about around baseball, but if you want to get specific with Matt Klintak, my gut tells me that the the situation this year will probably stretch into really being a, uh, a get-out-of-jail-free card or a mulligan, whichever way you want to describe it, for general managers around the league. I don't think that uh, Klintak will be replaced before the 2021 season. It may be his last chance to really make a market improvement on this team and get them uh, where John Middleton wants them to ultimately be. Uh, But I don't think there'll be a change at that position this offseason. Do you agree, number one? And number two, if you do, then what is the calling? What is number one on the list for uh, for Matt Klintak this offseason? Because 2021, more than likely, we hope, anyway, with our fingers crossed, we'll be back to the 162-game format, which is much different than what we're seeing now. Yeah, I think in a lot of senses it will be a get-out-of-jail-free card. However, when the Phillies were, whatever that was, August 20th, 
and the bullpen was a disaster, and it looked like they might miss the playoffs even with an eight-team format. At that point, I started to wonder whether a change might be made because if you miss the playoffs, no matter what the circumstances are, when there's eight teams, then changes need to be made. I think if they're able to make the playoffs in any form, you go back to that idea that maybe this doesn't count as much as a normal year, but you made the postseason, and it kind of takes a little bit of heat off of you. But there has to be, throughout the entirety of Matt McClintock's tenure to this point, they've struggled to put together a bullpen consistently. Now, part of that was their doing early on, deciding to move Ken Giles. But a lot of these big moves they've made, bringing Pat Neshek back the second time, signing Tommy Hunter to a free agent deal the first time, signing David Robertson, they have not worked out. And there's really no reason for me to think you're going to show up in 2021 and have a perfect bullpen either. What you really need is to trade, make a major trade for one of these guys like Josh Hader, but I don't think you have the ammo in your system unless you're willing to part with Alec Bohm or Spencer Howard, which you shouldn't be to make that type of move. So I'm interested to see how they put together a playoff or maybe even World Series caliber bullpen this year without a ton of ammo to trade. And you have other team, other spots in your lineup, uh, in addition to re-signing JT Realmuto, that you're going to need to figure out. Center field could potentially be one. Jake Arrieta is gone after this season in all likelihood, so you'll need to add another starter. So you're relatively close to that luxury tax. And you have to worry about re-signing Real Muto, re-signing Gregorius, and also trying to make your team better. So whether they make the playoffs this year or not, he's going to have his work cut out this offseason. Talking to Tim Kelly of Phillies Nation and Radio.com, Phillies expert. You mentioned center field. Uh, Have the Phillies been caught short in a key position with the injury to Roman Quinn? Uh, Adam Hazley has already spent time on uh, on the injured list. And right now, that is a position where, you know, does Scott Kingery get another shot there when he comes back here shortly? Um, You know, where are we as far as center field presently and going into 2021? I think they have been caught short. I don't know that it's a position that they're going to get burned on, but it's a position they've dumped a lot of resources into between using a number one overall pick on Mickey Moniak using a top 10 pick on Adam Hazley, who I truly think is probably more of a fourth or fifth outfielder and probably, as we saw today, more. Roman Quinn is a hell of a weapon. He is not someone in a 162-game season, A, health-wise, and B, just overall, that you can expect to be out there 130 times. So it is a position. I don't know what the future is, and I don't know what the present is. I think Scott Kingery is realistically probably best geared to be the super utility guy. But I actually think he's more valuable and maybe even a better fielder in center field than he is at second base. The problem is this it really kind of feels like it might just be a lost season for Scott Kingery. Like he never got a chance to really come back from coronavirus. So, uh, yeah, when he comes back, you give him that shot out there because I don't think Adam Hazley has done anything at that position where you feel like you have to run him out there every day. But it might be that in a really good lineup, this is kind of your weak spot. Is Jay Bruce done for the season, or can we see Bruce back by the end of this month and into October? Yeah, I would think you'll see Jay Bruce back at some point. But this is kind of the stage of his career he's at. and It makes me wonder why the Phillies tried so hard to consistently put him not only in left field but in right field on some nights. I just think he's at the stage of his career where when he's healthy – he can still hit you a, a decent amount of home runs. He's not going to get on base a ton or hit for a high average, 
but the OPS is going to be high because he drives the ball out of the park quite a bit. The problem is, and we saw this when he came over last year, it's just kind of nagging injuries. He's 33 years old. He's just kind of at that stage of his career. So he's someone you hope he's a weapon the rest of this year. I don't know if he's in the plans beyond this season. It's too bad. He seems like a good clubhouse guy when he's been able to stay healthy. He's been productive for you, but he's been pretty consistently injured in the year and change he's spent here. You're pretty good at uh, analyzing things from an up-close point of view into detail. Uh, Spencer Howard is going to go through the growing pains that all young pitchers go through. What have you seen from Howard that you like? What concerns you? What about his demeanor? Uh, Give me a scouting report on what you've seen so far from Spencer Howard. The demeanor's great. I think he's largely unflappable in a way that's kind of similar to Aaron Nola, which is obviously what you want in a pitcher. He has a tremendous arsenal. I know Joe Girardi was a little concerned early on that it seemed like Spencer Howard was only using one or two pitches when he has four really quality pitches. So I think this is a case where you maybe need Spencer Howard to come of age earlier than he's ready to come of age. It's just not really a fair expectation to have him come up and immediately pitch like a number three for a World Series team. But I feel pretty comfortable in saying I think uh, Spencer Howard is going to be a very good number two or number three starter for this team for quite a while. That that 12 to six curveball he has when that thing is tight and breaking the way he hopes, it, it's an unhittable pitch. So to me, he's someone where it's been quite a long time, really since 2010, 2011, that you had confidence not only in the top three in the Phillies rotation for that year, but for a few years to come. Between Aaron Nola, who's still young, Zach Wheeler, who's still relatively young. And Spencer Howard, I think you're in pretty good shape moving forward. I don't know if you have a rotation right this second that can win a World Series, but I do think over the course of the next few years, you may be in that situation. Whether you have the rest of the team to do it or not is another question. Alec Bohm, same question. Yeah, I know Alec Bohm has made a few really nice plays at third base. I don't think he's going to stick at that position long term. My guess, I think he's probably best geared to be a DH, but he has a strong arm, and left field at Citizens Bank Park is not especially spacious. So I, I think you maybe try him out in left field, especially knowing that Andrew McCutcheon's probably getting more to the point in his career where you're going to DH him more than you have early on in this contract. So to me, you give him a shot out there. In terms of the bat, though, it, it's advanced. Uh, I feel very comfortable saying I think the power is going to come because the, the approach is so good with Alec Bohm. He's not in the category of Juan Soto or Ronald Acuna, but I think he has a a chance to be the best position player the Phillies have developed since Ryan Howard. I have made this particular statement publicly for the last, I don't know, two months, three months. Now we start to see the pieces actually coming together, and what I am fearing and have been fearing now for a matter of weeks starts to become much more clear. The New York Mets are going to probably, you know, cross the T's and dot the I's on new ownership, Steve Cohen, in the next few days, maybe a couple of weeks at most. But you're talking about them having who will be the richest man, richest owner, not only in baseball, but all of probably professional sports, the big four anyway, in this country, and a guy who is a Met fan and a guy who is known to not be cheap, ready to spend some money. 
there has got to be, Tim, a level of worry that this man, Steve Cohen, to make a splash with that fan base may just write, you know, a quote-unquote blank check to a guy like J.T. Realmuto, and to make that splash as the new owner in the number one market in the country may pry away the Phillies. Basically, maybe you could call him all, all around or at least, uh, you know, the top two or three best players uh, that this franchise has may lure him up the New Jersey Turnpike. Yeah, that's one of the things. I think the logic of saying we kind of – the Phillies, we being Matt Klintak, kind of have a number you don't want to go above, and if JT Realmuto thinks that doesn't meet it, let him test the market and realize that's the case. The problem is it only takes one team, and if that one team is the, the Mets and the Mets are motivated, Wilson Ramos' deal is up, he kind of looks finished to me, even though he hit a home run today – you, you kind of get in that position where you wonder, is this like a Billy Wagner scenario where you flash two really good years and then end up with the Mets? Um, you know, I think there needs to be a cutoff point. I, I don't agree with the idea that the Phillies have to – if J.C. Realmuto wants $160 million, then I don't think you can give that. But if you can meet around 120 to 130 that probably is a fair price for J.C. Realmuto. He is a catcher that's going to be 30 next season but I also think he projects to age pretty well so you're in a weird position and I think truth be told the bigger thing to be worried about is not that you lose JT Real Muto to the Mets it's that maybe you lose the trade to the Marlins because Sixto Sanchez looks so good right now that I mean if Sixto Sanchez is as good as he's looked these first few starts JT Real Muto can be the best catcher that's great you don't give up that type of pitcher so that to me would be the bigger concern is that you maybe gave up a frontline starter for JT Realmuto, and that's great. JT Realmuto is awesome. If he stays with the Phillies long term, he has a chance to be the best catcher in the history of the franchise. It, it almost doesn't matter, though. You'd not give up frontline pitchers. The schedule here in the next few days gets uh, a little bumpy. 25 games left for the Phillies. And if you take out the off day, uh, the season ends in three weeks. So you figure 20 days to play 25 games, and in the immediate, now you're talking about three doubleheaders, Tim, in the next, what, seven, eight days? <laughs> yeah, I'm trying not to even think about how much I'm working the next week. <laughs> you know, it, it, one thing is for, for you who is going to report about these games and, and watch them uh, in detail, uh, but do the Phils have enough depth uh, pitching-wise to get through this period you know, I think the season is going to turn one way or the other uh, during those seven games and five days against the Miami Marlins. Uh, if they go, if either team goes four and three or three and four, depending on you know what side you're looking at it from, uh, th- then you know basically it's uh, it, it's it's uh, it's holding serve, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But if somebody goes five and two, six and one, or dare I say sweeps seven games, which is highly unlikely. But a 5-2-6-1 on either side could really shift the balance of power uh, in the NL East along with Atlanta and could really affect who'd be going into the playoffs. Yeah, if the Phillies go 5-2 and two in that Miami series, then you're really starting to think, okay, this team is for sure a playoff team and maybe wins this division because over the past few years, and they're much better this year than they have been the last two years, but it hasn't mattered. The Phillies have been awful against the Marlins. 
Vince Velasquez has really struggled against the Marlins. He's going to pitch in one of those doubleheader games. And kind of getting over that, I talked with him on, I guess it was Friday now, kind of about that. And he said, they're a scrappy team, but we don't fear them. And I think he ended by saying something to the effect of, we expect to step on them, which I have a feeling that quote might resurface if the (laughs) Phillies don't step on them, which they certainly haven't done over the course of the past few seasons. So that to me is kind of the sign that you've moved out of the rebuild and out of the Gabe Kapler era and that you're in an era where this is a legitimate contending team, that you take care of a Marlins team that is ascending. They're going to become a problem over the next few seasons, but you should beat the Marlins. You are a better team than the Marlins. And in that series, you have to go a minimum of four and three, if not better, I think. Four and three might just, like I said, be holding serve, uh, you know, as, as, as the season winds down here. That's a lot of games, Tim, in a very short period of time. Uh, a lot of tax on that bullpen coming up in these next eight days. Yeah, I think it's borderline unfair what baseball has done to teams like the Phillies and the Cardinals not saying either we're going to expand the schedule or we're going to go based off win percentage and some teams are going to play a few less games. Just trying to jam this all in. I understand why they have to do it for a ton of different logistical reasons. But it is unfair to this team. But, I mean, it kind of is what it is. Either they're going to do it or they're not going to do it. And uh, they just kind of have to suck it up. This is a strange year like we've never seen and hopefully we'll never see again. And uh, potentially it could end with the Phillies snapping an eight-year postseason drought. Uh, Around baseball, other than the Phillies, any team really, really stand out as a big surprise? And does any team stand out as a big disappointment? That is a good question. Um, you know, I think the Yankees have just been, I don't need to tell you this, yeah, but I lately they, they've just been decimated with injuries, and it's too bad. I am uh, a little surprised at how quickly the Padres and the White Sox, both teams with immense young talent, have come of age. But I think these are teams that are here to say, to me, I think the best team might be the A's, though. And it's kind of one of the sad parts that you haven't gotten to see some of these West Coast teams this year because the Dodgers are a juggernaut. The Dodgers are the best team, but the A's are the team other than the Dodgers that I think scare me the most. The Padres might be the most fun team in baseball, and you've kind of missed out on that. And I guess the team I'm most pulling for to get in the playoffs in the National League would be the Giants because I think the idea of the Phillies playing Gabe Kapler in the playoffs, (laughs) no matter what you thought of Gabe Kapler, I, it would be incredible. Juicy is the word there. <laughs> uh, I guess you haven't watched much of the Tampa Bay Rays because I think fundamentally the way that Kevin Cash uses his roster, and he's been decimated by injuries, especially in that bullpen. Uh, but the, I don't know where they find these players. Uh, I've never heard of most of the guys in the Tampa Bay Ray bullpen, Tim. And these guys come out throwing 95, 98 miles an hour from different angles with tremendous breaking pitches and control. And the way Kevin Cash utilizes his pen, he doesn't have a set closer. If the if the eighth inning or sometimes even the seventh inning looks like it has the, the biggest matchup problem, he will use his best pitcher in that inning and not necessarily wait till the ninth inning. I think it's a masterful job of managing that's being done by Kevin Cash and the, the team that nobody talks about that's got the best record in the American League of the Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, and they were a team prior to this season I think I picked to win the World Series. So I guess I was kind of counting them 
in that group of teams you expected to be this good. But you're right. I love the starting rotation. It worries me a little bit with the injuries, but I'm looking at it now. They have a plus 40 run differential this season. Uh, yeah, they're, they're a great team, and I think Kevin Cash might be the best manager in baseball. And Heim Bloom, who's now with the Red Sox, but kind of was the architect of this team, is one of the best minds. And a guy the Phillies did interview for GM after Ruben Amaro was let go and Matt Klintak was brought in. I think probably they thought he was a little too young or not quite ready at that time. Well, he, he proved to be ready. And the Rays have gone from Andrew Friedman to Heim Bloom, and now they have another front office. But it really hasn't mattered. This team since the mid-2000s has been maybe the best team at developing talent and finding guys on the margins that didn't work with other teams, and all of a sudden they turn them into stars. And and they know when to move away from a player. They get a lot out of a player right when they're about to maybe get into that big money category. They move on. They get younger players in return, and it's almost like a, you know, a hamster on a wheel. It just keeps going round and round and round, and they keep producing the young player. When they get expensive, they move off those young players, get other young talent, and just keep on winning. The player that impresses me the most that they had their hands on was probably Travis Darneau. He was a decent middling catcher. He went there, and now is back in Atlanta, and he just looks like a completely different player. So it has been player development, but it's also finding some of these guys that maybe were hyped up with different organizations. They didn't work out. And whatever it is, the Rays find a way to unlock the, the potential that other teams weren't. So – uh, yeah, they're they're a scary team. You wish it was kind of in an area where the fans cared more, but they're as good a team as there is in yeah. baseball. Well, the interesting thing is that they have the highest local television and radio ratings of any team in baseball, practically. They've consistently for years. They just don't come to the ballpark. Now this year doesn't matter because nobody's in the ballpark anyway. So you know, there's the Tampa Bay Ray team uh, that could be a headache to anyone. Once we get to the postseason, Timmy, it's going to be an interesting last three weeks of the season. Uh, hopefully, we can uh, check back with you to talk Phillies baseball uh, in in October. Uh, either way, we will go over all the postseason matchups with you when the time comes. All right, my friend. Awesome. I look forward to it, Ricky. All right, that's Tim Kelly uh, and Radio.com's very very own Phillies Nation. He does a heck of a job uh, covering the team in the red pinstripes.